Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. Cue dramatic music. Ba -ba -ba. Gentlemen, all men strive for gold in their life, right? Gold medals, gold watches, gold everything. However, there is a certain type of man who goes that extra mile. He walks with confidence the confidence of a lion and giggles in the face of danger. He's a big, hairless, winning machine. And when he unzips his pants, he sees... Platinum? That's right, Manscaped would like to announce their biggest and best ultimate hygiene bundle. The Platinum Package 4.0 is now available worldwide. Manscaped is the leader in below-the-waist grooming. Now trust them with your whole hygiene routine. Join the 6 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code PEAKSPEAK. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Platinum Package 4.0. The Manscaped boxes and the shared travel bag. Bring your comfort and boxes to another level. The Platinum Package 4.0 covers all bases from head to toe. The best bang for your shebang. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PEAKSPEAK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code PEAKSPEAK. It's time you enjoyed the finer things in life and got yourself a Platinum Package for your Platinum Package. Nice. I just bought a, um, a professional... Like actual barista coffee machine. I, I don't know what they call them in, in terms of like the numbers of spouty things they have on them, but it's got two of them. So it's like a... Oh, like a two-group one. So a two-group. Group. To That's replace it. the Breville one or to... Uh, no, no, no. no. This will be plumbed into the to the Brisbane gym. Jamie there has been a barista for... Or what? he was a barista for 10 years. Yeah, right. What machine is it? I have no idea. The, the guy that owns the roaster in the same complex... Uh, he sort of collects and refurbishes and yeah yeah that's, that's pretty common i believe in the, the, the coffee industry i'm pretty sure the prism guys do the same thing yeah he's a, he's a coffee whiz so I, I trusted his judgment and said basically just find me a, a decent machine that we can put in at that gym um but speaking of prism that's what i plan on chucking in it yep i did some fiddling around with your grinder at your house while i was there for worlds yes. and made it a little bit finer and i think improved the quality of it i probably yes. needed another day of practice where i could like slam 15 shots of espresso <laughs> and not like instantly shit myself in a way that uh didn't involve me then getting on a plane and potentially shitting myself on a plane uh and i reckon i could have got it a little bit better again but uh yeah it's not far off nice. but if you're going to get some coffee, you should go talk to our good friends at Prism. I'm actually going to go out and see Jono at the roastery maybe next week and potentially roast my own coffee, which is exciting. Uh, but yeah, go get some coffee from our good friends at Prism. Use the code PEAKSPEAK. Save some money. Get some delicious coffee. What more can you want in life? So, uh, APL, IPL Worlds has completed. It was a fucking cool comp to be a part of, man. You guys did a, a really excellent job. Uh, running a, a world-class meet. It was great. 
Well, thank you. Yeah, it was um, it was definitely a big collaborative team effort. It's always, as we've spoken about before, it's always like running your own birthday party or your own wedding. You, you, all you can focus on is all the stuff that's going wrong and all the stuff that's not yeah. exactly how you intended it to be. But um, we had a we we definitely had a few human errors across the weekend, but by and large, it was a very successful weekend with a hell of a lot of positive feedback um, and a lot of lessons learned to to make these bigger meets even even better even bigger um it's always the hard thing like running a local meet in your own space is so easy because you know absolutely yeah. everything like all the stuff that you can't control you can still sort of control whereas at these uh at these off-site venues there's just stuff that uh, you can think about you can plan for but once they go out of your control it just makes it a bit tougher yeah, man, that's part of the reason I have no desire to run a meet that isn't in my gym because I just can't be bothered dealing with that bullshit. Mm. I and admire the, you guys for doing it, but I have no desire to do it. <laughs> yeah, and plus, you don't have to move a gym's worth of equipment from one place to another and then back again a few days later. Exactly. At least, look, at least you're using combos, not monos, because monos is a whole other beast. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the biggest challenge we had was... We use the IPL software, which we've never used before. So we use Iron Comp, which is what they use to run meets over there. And it's it, it, it's a very um, it's a very complicated software. It does exactly what you need it to do for the most part. Uh, maybe missing a few features that the lifters like in in Open Lifter, um, uh, but we, none of us really knew how to use it. Like Daniel and I got trained up on on how to run it while the comp's running. But the actual competition setup is quite elaborate and uh, it's just one of these things where it's a new system that you'd need to play around with for quite a while before yeah. you really nail it. So we had the the, the American executives helping us with that, um, but that slowed us down a few times. That was a little bit trickier to navigate. It was, it was the part of the comp where I felt we were the most helpless. Yes. Like I, I was sort of always in the back of my mind, oh, they've gone for a walk or they've gone out. If this fucks up, I don't know what to do. Uh, yeah, like yeah. It, it would have been a, a big panic and there were a couple of times where it got pretty close to that but we we managed to keep it under control um we did a new live feed setup that was that was pretty cool the a live couple. feed was sick man i like i was watching that uh most of the day on sunday because i had my two lifters uh, competing while i was uh, at home suffering and uh <laughs> and yeah, it was genuinely one of the best live feeds I've ever seen. The, having two really high quality cameras and really just having two very simple uh, uh, angles. Like you, you can go back and watch this on the Zero Weakness YouTube, I'm sure. Uh, but you had a camera set up on the chalk bowl and then a camera on the platform. The angles were great. Like the picture quality was excellent. Having just even that dynamic switch between seeing a lifted warm up, uh, like prepare and then watching them walk onto the platform, just adding that dynamic switch there made it more engaging. Like mm. I, I think it's really easy for a, and like I'm certainly guilty of this, having a live stream that is really more about recording the process and you know having people be able to tune in as opposed to it being a product unto itself, you know, and something that is an engaging thing to watch. It's still pretty hard to do because powerlifting, from a spectator point, is a bit shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that was a really interesting uh, uh, change that I haven't seen done well before. Um, yeah. And I think you guys did it really well, which is cool. Yeah, thanks. I, like, I really wanted the lights in the live stream. So on the first day, we had the lights up on the big screen, but the the lighting in the room was too bright to actually yeah. capture the lights on the on the projection. Yeah, on the um, camera itself, yeah. 
and so then we were left with only two options which was move the tv that we put the lights onto which wasn't going to work because it would definitely get knocked off by a Mm. lifter psyching up or move the camera which also didn't work because of the cables that we had yeah um so we unfortunately we couldn't have the lights on the screen uh, which was the most common common the most common comment on the feed was like we need to see the lights we need to see the lights so look i think that is somewhat negated by having a good mc which you did like across the whole weekend henny and the other guys did a great job all the way through it and just being out like i watched the whole thing without sound and i know enough about powerlifting to be able to tell you whether they were whites or reds regardless (laughs) you see their faces (laughs) yeah but yeah not even that like i they're two-thirds of the way through it and i can tell you whether it's getting whites or not but um the having the the mc audible and be able to announce it as a good lift or a a no lift and that sort of thing i think negates that a little bit yeah it would be a nice thing to do but you know like you said these are the lessons you learn in in doing something on this scale that you can then carry over into the next one because like a good meet director should you guys are all really excellent at recognizing the holes in what you did and patching them up and making them better Mm. for the next time around like you know this was already a, a better meet I think than uh, APL Nats in the same venue not that long before it like it was it was another notch above because that wasn't a bad meet that was a really excellently run meet and I think you guys did a really excellent job of taking that and improving upon it which is cool yeah yeah the live feed we had we had it set up so that you could have an auxiliary cord that captured the the audio coming out of the speakers and Mm. fed it through the stream but yeah. the we we couldn't get the cord to to work properly, so yeah, the so audio was scratchy when we plugged it in. So we had to re- resort to the camera audio. We do that with um, our MC. The microphone is actually a sound input in the computer, so it's yeah. the microphone itself, not the speaker system. Yes, which means that you get you're less likely to get the YouTube booting through copyright stuff. Um, It still happens. We've still had uh, spots of it happen, but it's way less common because you're getting a direct microphone feed. So even then, like you still get a bit of the background noise of the the comp itself, but you don't get booted quite as quickly in the same way. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Stuff like this just highlights like, uh, how much people power you need as well like we yeah fucking oath you know, man there's people who can do multiple jobs or have the capacity to do multiple jobs but aren't willing or unable to do a job so for example nick sitting at the computer he ran the live feed with the camera switch someone has to do that manually so he had to mm. sit and watch the feed all day and ideally he would have a separate microphone to the commentator and just commentate the feed like that's yes. what that's how that's live feeds the, normally work that's what the riches do they've they've got a um yeah a, a, like commentator and a director yeah but nick doesn't know powerlifting and even if he knew powerlifting inside out there's no way you could put a microphone in front of him like it's as you know emceeing a meet is not a job that many people would like to do much no, people I- are much quicker to put up their hands to spot and load or to referee <laughs> Yeah, and you like you have to be pretty comfortable with the sound of your own voice. Um, like it's and yeah. like even you know I'm I consider myself to be pretty good at talking and good at presenting and and waffling in general. Uh, but even I find like emceeing at uh, GPC Nats was like really tiring. Like I came back from that and was like drained because you're just on the whole time and you know you're the only one making any yeah. noise outside of the same fucking disturb song on 18 times um <laughs> and so you've got to be able to continue waffling and continue to make it entertaining and not just be like that was a good lift 
here's the next lift because that's yeah. just fuck. And especially on a live feed, that's really boring. I like, and it's one of the reasons we exactly. haven't gone down the route of like multiple cameras and a commentator that sort of thing because i just don't have the manpower to do it because really what i'd like yeah. is two people right so you can have two people like you and i sitting here having a discussion about it right and you can have this ongoing thing like you do in commentating in real sports uh because that's what yes. makes for a really interesting conversation you can have two different points of view you can have discussions about what was good and what wasn't those sort of things so you know that's the the logical next step but again that's two extra people who have to do it for four days as the case may be and like that's a you know constant job it doesn't stop uh and so if you don't have you know you're looking at least two people probably more like four people whose only job is to sit there and commentate on a live stream and press the camera button at the right time. You know? mm. And that's before you think about spotters or loaders or judges or anything like that. So, yeah, it's... Um, I mean, I certainly have an appreciation for it, but I, I don't think a lot of people do because until you've seen the back end of something like that, you don't quite recognise how intense it is. For sure. Um, well, congratulations to all your lifters. Everyone did really well. Mike killed it for sure. Yeah, man, winning overall Masters champion was fucking cool. Um, yeah. That was uh, really impressive. And he, I think he was just really stoked to have a good day on the platform. So, mm. uh, yeah, just in general, I was really stoked with our, what do we have, five? One, two, three, four, five, six. Six lifters. Uh, and of that, I think we had two, three world champions. Four. Maybe it was four of six. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, pretty stoked about that. Um, a few world records everyone set pbs and had just had a really good time i i think it's been a while since i've taken a you know a, a big like a relatively big for me at least team to a, a comp like that and i forget how well, sometimes i forget how good something like that is at, at creating a bond between lifters who wouldn't necessarily have a bond otherwise you know like my team of six lifters ranged in age from 23 to 67 uh, and you know male and female years of lifting versus only lifting for a little while like a, a total range of things that these people wouldn't necessarily have ever really had anything in common outside of powerlifting but then to have had the experience of something like traveling somewhere for a lot of them it was their first comp at a venue that wasn't burly mm. um, which again is an experience and something that has to be accounted for and so being able to watch them all you know really as i just kind of sat back and let them do their thing um it was yeah it was really cool i really enjoyed it yeah awesome um the the that masters division that uh that mike was in was actually really to, excited to watch like his yeah, weight man. class so he was masters 60 to 64 in the 110s uh yeah. and his weight class had had three or four people that were pretty close to each other and it was a really exciting it, it was yeah, probably man. my favorite like battle of the competition was watching them deadlift at the end yeah yeah that was uh, that was really cool especially when i like i'd already sent mike a text message congratulating him on his day on the platform after his third attempt and then i saw the fourth <laughs> attempt go in and i just i immediately sent him another text or oh, i think i sent lynn a text and she was like, he's going for like, you know, 248 or something for a fourth. And I just replied with a, a gift that was like, mm, that's a ballsy move because I was pretty certain he wasn't going to get it. But hey, like, who am I to say don't do it? Like, <laughs> fuck yeah, you're there and you got nothing to lose. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, but yeah, watching him and then was it Darvis, the guy that came yeah. out and then crushed the world record after him? That was yeah. fucking cool. Yeah, it was awesome. That was and that happened in a similar fashion with... Um, Cat Wright and Lynn in the 75 
Masters division when they were competing Friday. So Kat came out, pulled a world record on her third, uh, sorry, second, and then I changed Lynn's third to be one kilo more than that. And so she basically followed her and then came out and had an attempt at a one kilo chip on a PR, on a world record that had just been set. And it's that sort of thing that like, constantly reminds me how cool powerlifting is as a sport yeah because like cat and lynn were both stoked about each other's lifting and having the opportunity to have someone to push them and those sort of things and mike is i like i know for a fact the same uh and so i think that's it's a really cool reminder that despite being in head-to-head competition and taking records from each other and doing that it really is still still all we're in this together trying to push ourselves to be better and and having that competition to push you is really actually a, a very powerful tool so good um well all the people are wondering how did sunday go yeah uh it look it was an interesting experience so i ran my first uh competitive running event since high school cross country (laughs) not that i think my descript my running uh in high school cross country was ever competitive um it was compulsory it's probably a better description (laughs) um uh Look, it's been an interesting build-up. I, like, I, I don't think I ever thought I would enjoy running, but I've genuinely enjoyed the last sort of 10 months or so of, of pushing running as an endeavour and training for something again, which I haven't done in a while. Uh, the day itself was interesting. I, like, fun's not the right description, despite it being a fun run. Uh, I'm not upset that i've done it i'm happy with the result like my original goal was uh under two and a half hours a few weeks ago i reassessed that goal based on my current training performances and was aiming more at a sub 215 Uh half marathon uh and so i ended up running a 213 14 or something uh Mm -hmm. So I like I ticked all the goals. I ran the whole thing. Uh, I you know ran it as fast as I thought I would, uh, or thereabouts to it, and was happy with all of it. But I just don't know that I actually enjoyed the experience, mm. and I'm I'm still processing that, and, and I think I I will be for some time. Um, partly because I've got to turn it around in what is it now 11 days i've got to run a 30k trail run uh, at the stromley running festival because turns out i'm a masochist um because <laughs> i'm still fucking sore it's two days later and i'm still in heaps of pain so it'll be interesting but um yeah i i think there's a couple of things that went into it i've um i've really enjoyed running and the mountain biking before that and then I guess the bouldering as well. Uh, like I've really enjoyed the solo aspect of it. Yeah, I was uh, going to ask, do you think part of it is just because this whole time it's all been about you and now there's a whole bunch of other people doing it and you were there and it, it almost felt like competition, felt like yeah. now it's a show rather than a, a yeah, pursuit I, or a hobby. I think that was it. Hey, I think that's the biggest factor is that I, like I, I man, I drove to the thing at like six o'clock that morning, fucking just like super fucking nervous, uh, and like excited and all of the feelings that I should have before a sporting event. But the whole thing, I just was like a bit grumpy about the whole time. Yeah, uh, and I haven't quite put my finger on exactly what it is, but I think a lot of it is exactly like you say. It brought out the worst in my competitive side. Like, I happily tell people, partly as a joke, partly seriously, um, that I'm the most competitive person you'll ever meet. 
uh-huh. uh, and for a long time that served me really well and can, and continues to serve me well and it's not something I ever want to get rid of because I like being competitive I enjoy it um, but in that context it took something that and I've spoken about this before that like I I look back on my time lifting uh, and I reckon I got into lifting without recognizing it at the time uh, trying to prove something to someone mm-hmm. uh, still I'm yet to work out exactly what or to who or to whom um, but the getting into mountain biking and then into running has been far more about proving something to myself um, as someone who's grown up fat and unathletic for a very long time it's been a really interesting journey of self-discovery and I think then putting me the competitive fucking dickhead in a a competitive that but not actually competitive environment like i came 443rd out of 509 or something like that mm-hmm. um which is about on par with the rest of my athletic career like below average so it's fun um but i think just the the nature of an event like that i was frustrated by people overtaking me who I didn't think looked like people who should be able to overtake me. Like that annoyed me for no good reason. Like, you know, these are all thoughts that if a lifter of mine came to and talked to me about in a powerlifting context, I'd spend a lot of time like, you know, not dismissing their feelings, but showing them a different way to think about it. So I know that all of these feelings are irrational and stupid, but it really clouded the experience in a way that I, I'm not happy about. Uh huh. It, I don't know. Uh, sorry to cut you off. I don't know if I'd go as far as to say they're irrational or stupid because it's like, I, I actually think there's a subset of people who cannot compete for fun. Like it, it compete. It's an oxymoron. You don't compete yeah. for fun. You compete to win. And a true competitor is going to try and win it and is going to get upset at their own failures or someone beating them no matter what. And I, you know, as long as I've known you, that's you. You're a competitive person. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's frustrating, but it's. I, I think it's like, especially in your position, you spend so much time working with people who need to find the fun in competing. Yeah. And it's like you've you've expected yourself to fall into that category, and maybe you just don't. Yeah, and so I, uh, I think like part of that's obviously then the expectations that I put on myself for performance and those sort of things, uh, and. You know, like I hit all the goals I wanted to and I hit better than I thought I was going to. But then part of me is also annoyed that like I thought, ooh, like under 215 would be good, but maybe I could push for like a sub two. Mm-hmm. And then like was nowhere fucking near that. <laughs> and, and that annoyed me. It's like, well, that's like this is, again, I think the part of the problem with my fucking brain is that like I'll never be satisfied. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that again, that's served me really well in business in lifting in all of these aspects of my life but it yeah it really put a big dark cloud over the experience in a way that has changed my thinking about it you know like i for a little while was contemplating the idea of after this uh pursuing like maybe a sub four hour road marathon mostly because i think it'd be interesting to be able to say i've squatted over 400 and i've run a sub four marathon because i don't reckon there's many people that have done that and i'm all about finding horrifically niche aspects of performance to claim I'm the best at uh-huh. um, because I'm insanely competitive. Uh, and I don't think I will pursue that. I don't think I enjoyed it enough to want to do that. And if I did, I probably wouldn't do it in a registered event. You know, mm-hmm. like I wouldn't 
I wouldn't do it in a competitive environment. I'd just go and run a marathon. I was going to say that 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 was going to be my next question. It's like if someone deadlifts 400 kilos to competition standards in the gym, did they deadlift 400 kilos? So you know, this or does it the, have to be in a comp? If you yeah, run a sub a, four hour 42 Ks, did you run it or was it not counted because it wasn't in a marathon? Exactly. And, and like, this is the thing I've always said to, you know, pal, it's just like what you lift in the gym doesn't mean shit. It's all about competition. But as someone who's like pretty comfortably past my competitive career, and I only say that because I know that if I dip my feet back in there, the same fucking thing's going to happen. I'm going to yeah. try and do a powerlifting comp and I'm going to hate myself because I didn't do as good as I wanted to yeah. and didn't, you know, didn't hit the numbers I expected to, that sort of thing. No matter how fucking good the performance is, I'll still be annoyed about it. Uh-huh. And uh, so I think that's where I probably need to spend some time thinking about how I do these challenges because I'm not doing it for a competitive thing. Like I'm never going to be a good runner. I'm just interested in finding my own limits. And so I'll be interested to see how this Stromlo thing goes. I think the nature of it being just a little less intense because it's like it's longer, but it's got more climbing in it in a way that means I'll walk a bunch of it. Like I I don't expect to run the whole thing. I think the nature of trail stuff like that, I enjoy a bit more as well, just in general, in the same way that I enjoy riding mountain bike stuff more than I do on the road, because it is just a bit more engaging and I enjoy being out in nature and stuff like that. So, you know, like I said, I'm going to spend some time certainly thinking about this and and talking about it in in situations like this and, and unpacking it myself. But, uh, I feel like the way my, performance goals are going to go is going to be more towards doing things like you know big adventure things and hard stuff like that that i just set up and do myself Mm -hmm. rather than in a competitive environment because i i didn't enjoy like if i had to rate you know my top 10 running experiences over the last 11 months i don't think the actual marathon would be in that top 10 yeah uh because all the fun I've had has been out by myself in the bush with my fucking headphones on, sometimes like in the middle of the night uh, and shit like that in a way that that's been the blissful experience is that solo aspect of it and Mm. just being present in what I'm doing and not having to give a shit about anyone else. So yeah, I I think that's a a useful insight. And, And like I said, I don't regret having done it and I'm not upset about it or anything like that but i think it's just interesting because i'm used to having doing doing these things and then being really stoked about it and being ready to do the next yeah. one you know like that's yeah. that's what happened in powerlifting in the bike stuff it, it kind of got to a point where like i did that one big thing and then needed a bit of a break and then running kind of fell into place so uh yeah just overall a very odd experience and one i certainly haven't had before because like i've been competing in sport for basically my whole life you know i'm 34 i think i probably played my first competitive sport at soccer at the age of five and that's the first experience i've had that i really just genuinely don't think i enjoyed at all like i enjoyed very minor Mm. aspects of it but actually the the overwhelming feeling was like a bit frust a bit of frustration and a bit of bit of like underwhelming you know annoyance i don't know it's it's a really weird one that like i said I'm, i'm gonna have to think about for a while but yeah, it's, and I think interestingly, it's it puts into perspective some of these discussions I have with people because one of the things I say about like 
novice powerlifting comps and things like that. One of the reasons we do our, our four-week course as four weeks is because like, I sort of lean on the idea that you, you probably shouldn't spend a ton of time training for something you don't even know if you like. You should just kind of do it and see what happens. I, I did the opposite of that. I spent like 10 or 11 months training for this thing, you know, <laughs> and like did the first one. And I think I hate it. <laughs> and and I, like, again, I don't, I don't regret it, but it's just an interesting juxtaposition to how I would advise yeah. people to do it. And like, I guess I yeah. really only entered this comp this event in March. So I spent like, you know, let's call it seven, eight months training for it. But like, that's the sort of time frame that I'd say to powerlifters, like, hey, just do your first comp like as soon as you can. And this was kind of like the first event I could do, but also the first event I was going to be in a position to do. Hmm. And I think if I'd done it earlier, it would have annoyed me even more because I would have been even worse at it <laughs> and that would have just made it worse. Yeah. Um, yeah. But interestingly, I had this discussion with um, uh, Rado, who's a, a coach in Canberra, who she competes in strongman and powerlifting and recently acts like fucking wood chopping and some yeah. other cool shit like that. She was just here doing some stones uh, and was saying that she's like doing a sixth comp in four months and it's like all you know some strong man some powerlifting, some axe chopping she's like i would never advise my clients to do that and i said yeah exactly the same thing about like two running events within 13 days of each other i would be like oh i don't know if that's a good idea man but i fucking happily signed up for it and it seemed like a great idea at the time <laughs> and i think part of it is uh, you know sort of the theory i've i've had for a little while is you probably can't be a a very good coach if you don't have a little bit of like crazy person inside of you mm -hmm. um, because it's that crazy person that pushes you to find the limits properly of like what you what you can do in a way that doesn't completely wreck you and that then can inform your coaching experiences because um, a lot of the coaches I know are terrible at taking their own advice um, and doing things in a way that is maybe counter to how they would recommend someone to do it huh. um, but I mean, like, think think of what a great coach is at a, at a high level. A great coach has a a really in depth understanding of the of the psyche of an athlete. And if you're a if you've got that athletic mindset, the coach's role is to stop you from letting that take over and making all those dumb decisions. So if you're yeah, a, unfortunately, I don't have anyone to do that for. Well, me. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. If you're an yeah. athlete and a coach, you kind of you understand that mindset so in depth because it is you, and you get a real time. Uh, experience of what happens when you don't listen to to that sound advice and uh, I think a lot of the times what we do is we give ourselves the sound advice and then we find ways to justify why that advice may not apply in this situation yeah and then just go ahead with it anyway um, yeah I'm, I'm really curious to, to sort of um, go away and think about where the line is between uh, but where, where a pursuit becomes okay in its own right outside of the bounds of a competition like think of in powerlifting we see you know Jamal Brown a deadlift 500 kilos or whatever and be guarantee there's a hundred comments on that video straight away that are like that's great doing a competition yeah yeah, yeah. That's great it was with straps but you know we all watch the dawn wall and no one says yeah but he should have done it in a competition you know he, yeah and but that's like, I think that's the interesting thing about the the difference in the sports right like powerlifting is a sport that exists as a sport but also exists in its own right in a training context right yes. where like and so does rock climbing in many ways right in that rock climbing exists because you're climbing actual rocks and then there's a the competitive aspect 
which is actually the the essence of the outdoor pursuit distilled into a competitive scalable thing right which isn't quite the same as powerlifting because it's almost exactly the same there's just some more rules to it right like it's not so removed yes um I, and I thought about this long before I committed to the running thing, but, but actually- I, I don't just mean in climbing in general. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. Th- think of someone scaling Everest. There's no competition for that. No, exactly. But I think that uh, that sort of relates to this idea of, like, who are you trying to prove something to, right? Because I, I thought about this in the lead up to our end of year testing session that we did last year where I pulled like 262 and a half which is like an equal all time deadlift PB but I was like 25 kilos lighter than I was the last time I pulled that heavy and in that moment I remember thinking like well maybe I should do it in a comp and then went you know what like I don't I don't need anyone else's validation in my achievements anymore like I, I think I've moved past that uh, and that's part of the thing that has made it okay to not have to do it in a competitive environment Uh um and part of that has been like yeah if i want to deadlift with bumpers on a deadlift bar because it feels nicer it makes it easier i'm just going to do that because i don't give a fuck about whether it's comp legal or not anymore and i used to be the dickhead who was like oh it's not in comp so it doesn't fucking count uh but again i've matured slightly uh (laughs) but then this running experience has really highlighted that difference as well is that like I wasn't upset about having done it, but it was way less enjoyable than all the experiences I've had by myself. And I'm only doing this because I enjoy it, not because I'm trying to be really good at it. And I think for a long time, that's the other problem is I've done things because I want to be really good at them Uh and not for the sake of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that again has been an interesting, you know, thought process and and transition in how my brain thinks about my own Uh performance feats. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. I think uh, you as a coach and you as a person at some point in the next week, month, year, decade, whatever it is, go- is going to, you know, adult John is going to prevail over child John and step back and go, I just fucking ran 21 kilometers nonstop. Oh, yeah. And be, yeah, and- and, and, and be absolutely over the moon about it and then be able to rationalize and figure out why you felt that way and not be stuck in this sort of purgatory of being Man, like yeah i'm really happy that i did it but there's something about it that i didn't like but i'm happy but i'm not you know? yeah yeah and i think i'll probably like you say flip back and forwards on that for a while i mean it's still only like you know 48 hours post not even like 36 hours post or something like that um and oh no it's yeah about 48 so yeah it's definitely something that's going to sit with me for a while and i'm going to sit with it for a while and and think about it and you know i <laughs> Fortunately, because of how my fucking brain works, I'm already planning like my next thing. Uh, but it's very deliberately not a competitive thing. This is just a, like, I wonder if I can do that. Uh, and I think that's probably going to have to be the road I go down for at least the next little while until I figure this shit out a bit more effectively. Purely because I'm just too competitive to do things in a way that can be enjoyable in an environment that isn't me just being frustrated by my own bullshit man and i think it's it's the blessing and the curse of uh how our brains work uh and how just i guess high that high achiever mindset like i I reflect on days where in the same day i'll tussle back and forth multiple times between how do i sell everything and get out of this and 
how am I going to open the eighth gym? Like, where is that going to be? Who's going to be running it? You know, yeah. like it, it, it's such this, this weird, like back and forth of hating yourself and hating, uh, you know, not being, not being okay with what you've done. Cause you know, you can do better, but then at the same time, striving to do the next big thing and striving to do better. And then, you know, being stuck in this tornado between the two, just watching the other one fly by yeah man and look i i don't know if if your experience is the same as mine but certainly i think part of that relates to a lifetime of you know being undiagnosed until i was 34 but a lifetime of you're not living up to your potential you could do better uh if you tried harder if you focused more all of those things that anyone who's been diagnosed with adhd as an adult has likely had any a significant experience with i think that un unintentionally shapes your self-esteem and your self-belief really significantly and you know i've said for a long time i, I don't need cheerleaders i need critics like mm-hmm. i do better when you tell me i suck and these are the reasons you suck and you should do better at them uh and i still i find it really hard like taking compliments and those sort of things about because like I don't actually think any of the things I do are that good. They're like, okay, but they could be better. And that is a fucking frustrating way to live your life. Uh, It is. Because it's hard to get that perspective when you've spent so long being told you've got heaps and heaps of potential, but you're not living up to it. And Uh now forever, I will, you know, no matter how happy and proud of anyone else is on me, I will always be my own harshest critic and I mm-hmm. will never be happy with the performance I'm doing because I know it could always be a little bit better. And part of that is maybe I know it and part of that is maybe I've just been convinced that it could be better when maybe that is just actually the best you could have done that day. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a hard one to grapple with. And the, the, the big shift for me, because I think that's a, that's a common trait among us, and the big shift for me was... Um, you know my my entire life has been fueled by that same mindset by like you're not good enough you need to do better you can do better than this you're a piece of shit Uh, you're just reminding myself that everything I do is shit and so working harder to make it not shit and then being like no it could be better kind of thing being stuck in that cycle and I had a I had a revelation in my own head I don't know a year or so ago where I was like what to what end like if it's this continuum i always talk about if if there's such thing as a better then what is the best and and how do i reverse engineer best from where i am now and is there a best and if there's no best which oftentimes there's not you know best or or that this this journey that you're on is just to be better than whatever you are right now and there is no best there is no end point so it's a fool's errand trying to be like i need to be better try to be better i need to be better because you it'll just be a cycle forever it's like what if what if this to what end the answer to what end is just constantly trying to be a bit better and it's it's exactly the same motivation it's like no i have to be better than i am right now i have to do better whatever i'm doing whatever pursuit it is relationships friendships gym stuff business life whatever anything i have to be better than what i am right now but if if the end of that is just can i can i go back through the week the day the week the month whatever and be like have I taken at least one step in that direction? Then I can be happy with that. And it's not to relax because you're never going to relax on it, <laughs> but it's to spin the negative motivation to something a little bit more positive. Uh, and it's it's kind of refreshing. Yeah, man. And I've, I'm definitely better at that now than I have been in the past. But I think like you that will be a battle i fight for a very long time if i not think forever, forever. Yeah. You know? yeah yeah i genuinely and think forever 
and I think in many ways it's, it's served me incredibly well. Like I, yeah. I wouldn't be in the position I'm in in a life that I'm really fucking stoked to be living uh, if I didn't have that internal you're a terrible person and you suck monologue. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Yeah. But I, think I also, it- I wouldn't want to get rid of it completely because it would, it would change my life unimaginably. I think the apprehension to, to accepting, you know, a positive driving force is always going to be the fear of being arrogant. Yeah. Uh, because like you're a very humble person. Uh, you, you don't want to be walking around being like, look at me, look at what I've done. Look at, you don't want to draw attention to yourself. It's not who you are. It's not what you do. No. And so like this apprehension of like, I don't want to say what I've done is good enough because in my head I could do better. And I don't want to seem pompous when I know that's not the truth. It's like this this fear of being disingenuous because it's not who you are fundamentally. And I think there's something nice about that. It's just figuring out how to how to rationalize it in your own head. So, you, you know, uh, because as much as we can sit here and say, no, we're happy with who we are, deep down in our head, yeah, we're yeah, like, no, 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 you're not. <laughs> fucking get better. Yeah, yeah. Re- removing a little bit more of that is always going to be a positive thing as long as it doesn't turn into arrogance. And, and I mean, like, fuck, we're preaching to each other. We, we yeah, both yeah. know exactly how no, this works in our own heads. So, no, no, it's, it's an amusing one to talk about because unless you've lived the experience, I don't think you'll ever understand. <laughs> anyway, like, yeah, I, I make that joke about being the most competitive person in the world like jokingly but like if you challenge me to a competition about who's the most competitive it'd be like me and Annie Short and I reckon it'd go to the death because neither of us would give up yeah. you know it's just it's one of those things that like I joke about but I fucking deeply mean uh-huh. in a way that's probably very unhealthy I just wish I was competitive about things that mattered like things yeah, that I too. actually but like I'm, I'm competitive in powerlifting like I really try but if someone walks in and they're like let's let's have a leg press competition or, or let's do an AMRAP on tricep extensions I refuse to lose and if I lose I'll never come back to the gym again yeah, yeah like exactly. that's that's the kind of person I am I wish that was the same with like you're training for this powerlifting comp I'm kind of like ah oh, yeah which week out of the comp am I going to tear something you know and and just resign to the fact that i'm not going to (laughs) compete yeah it's it's a murky water to have to live in but you know with the support of those around you perhaps (laughs) it'll one day be a little bit clearer perhaps all right well we've uh we've comfortably gotten way outside of both the scope of our knowledge practice and podcast nothing like turning our professional powerlifting podcast into a self-assessment and therapy session (laughs) to really make us both feel better about ourselves exactly i hope you all enjoyed us giving each other therapy and we'll maybe see you again next week for episode two of thomas and john should probably just pay for therapists (laughs) the end goodbye